Welcome to Weston Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westernroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Today, um, we embark on a new year. It's the first Sunday of 2024, the beginning of prayer and fasting, and I'm I come with an expectant heart. You know, if 2023 left you kind of run down and tired, maybe you don't feel that way um, to say, Pastor John, I, I don't, I'm just tired still. I, and I, some of us, we go back to work tomorrow perhaps. And I know our teachers in the house, we have a lot of teachers who attend here at Weston. I, I feel you. A lot of the kids and students, you're going back tomorrow and you're like, eh, I don't I kind of maybe anxious about that return. I get you. I feel you. But hear me. That's when we get our eyes fixed on stuff and things. But when you get a glimpse of God and his plan for your life, you should be excited. You should be expectant for what God is going to do. If you have no expectation, you have to have a bigger, you have to get a bigger view of who God is. And I submit that humbly to you. God, he's a designer, right? So in the context of a home, when you think of a designer, they have vision. They have, a, a, they have to execute on what they envision. They have maybe a vision board even. And, but a designer envisions what it could be. And then starts to work towards that. And usually it's on behalf of someone else. Now, God is the builder, the designer, the starter. He's everything. And so if this is a brand new year that you and I get to walk in and walk into, then guess what? God has planned great things. God has gone ahead. And if he's going to have a vision, he, that means he's thoughtful about stuff. And so when I start to think that way, I go, okay. It, it doesn't mean it's going to be a bed of roses. However, it does mean that God has a plan. And the thing, what I've learned is sometimes we don't do things God's way. And I submit to you more often than not, we cause our own trouble maybe because we have gone off course and we've taken our eyes off of what God is up to. And so fasting and prayer is a, a, a great way for you as a believer to realign your life, your heart to God's purpose. Can somebody say amen? You know, fasting doesn't only have to happen in January when the pastor says, this is the time when you fast. Someone agreed with that. Everyone else is fairly quiet. But here's the thing. I also understand that my flesh wants to push really hard against fasting. And I'm giving up coffee. And for some of you, that's like a very little thing. Why does Pastor John always... Because I love coffee. Because, you know, ask my wife, I depend on coffee. If I need a little pick-me-upper, it's coffee that helps me out that way. And, you know, sometimes we get so dependent on coffee that we actually make it a thing, an idol. Uh, like, I can't live without this thing. And for me, giving that up is important because I'm denying my flesh what it craves. And instead, I'm going to let go of all the selfish me, me, me things. And I'm going to say, 
God, I'm, I'm, I'm after you now. At the beginning of the year, it's important that we put Christ first. Because if you don't do it at the beginning, my friend, I've lived long enough to know you're not going to do it six months in. If you don't remember to put Christ first and realign your heart, it's going to be very hard six months later. You know, I brought my car in for an oil change, and uh, I'm not going to tell you where or anything like that. Everyone has an opinion about uh, garages, dealerships, all of that stuff. But they're really good at finding, you know, hey, we noticed X, Y, and Z. We noticed, um, you know, your brakes, you know... we. We, and they give you a number. It's like a three and four. And normally we like to keep the, the brakes at about seven and ten. Ten is brand new. And the lower that number gets, the more worn they are. So like you're at four. And at three, we recommend you change them. But we just wanted to let you know. I was like, thanks for letting me know. She's like, but also, uh, you need that alignment for your wheels. And she's like, you have a lot of like electronic you know, the brake, uh, no, lane assist, uh, adaptive cruise control, all these, like, new technologies. She goes, because I looked at the price, I'm like, is that, is that the total for everything? And she goes, no, no, that's just the alignment now. And I was like, that's a lot. She goes, well, yeah, with the new technology on the cars, that's, you know, it costs a lot more. And I was just like, alignment is expensive. I remember it was like a hundred bucks back in the day. Um, and I look at it and I say, in our lives, yeah, it, it's going to cost us something. Prayer and fasting, it's going to cost you something. And, you know, on the vehicle, she, and this is how she presented it at the desk to me. She said, we noticed your summer tires, because I got the winters put on, they're, they're feathered. And she goes, they're, they're worn out and they're feathered this way. It means you need the alignment. And she said, if you don't do it now, your winters are going to end up the same way. Now that part, I know it's true. It's the cost that I'm like, ah, it hurts, I feel it. But when it comes to realigning your heart and getting in tune with God's voice, I'm, I'm going to be the bearer of hard news, maybe, not bad news, but it's going to come at a cost. And it's going to be this, you got to crucify the flesh. you got to crucify the flesh. And today, with God's help, we're going to start a new sermon series called The Jesus Way. The Jesus Way. And, you know, I've had a lot of conversations, more than a few, lately, with people wanting, you know, the blessings and benefits of serving Jesus. And, and they are there. John 10.10 10 said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have, what, life and life to the full or life more abundantly. Or I like the word overflow, living life in the overflow. And with all of that comes knowing him as savior, provider, healer. We, we want those benefits of that relationship with Jesus. And those are some of the conversations that I've had lately. And it's not just at Weston. I think it's the church at large. But in some of those conversations and in how I've noticed we live, there's a pattern that I've observed. And it's this. Somewhere along the line, we've stopped living the Jesus way. And we started following Jesus our way. 
Now, that might sound like I just said the same thing twice. You're like, that's semantics, and Pastor John, you're just saying things, you know. But actually, I want to submit to you, no. There's a huge difference when you live and follow Jesus the Jesus way versus following Jesus your way. Because that means I have this idea of what I need and what I want and how I need to live or want to live. And I'm going to make Jesus fit into my box. But instead, the invitation is, come and follow me. Jesus said to all his disciples, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will teach you how to live. Come and follow me. So back in the book of Acts, Chapter 1, 2, you can follow along. But they were actually known in the early church days as people of the way. People of the way. They weren't called Christ followers or Christians. They would call them people of the way. Well, whose way? The Jesus way. The way of Jesus. Come and follow me. And he basically invited... and. Tax collector, he left his livelihood, followed Jesus. Fishermen left their livelihood, followed Jesus. They were learning what it means to live life the Jesus way and not, well, I'm going to still be crooked here. And I'm going to start to, yeah, I'll, I'll, Jesus, I'll follow you here. But, yeah, don't touch my business. You know, I think of Zacchaeus who he wanted to see Jesus, wanted to meet him, climbs the tree. But Jesus says, hey, come down, Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus's response, I want you to note it, his response was, oh, I'm going to, you know what, I've, I've been bad to people. I've taken as a tax collector more than I should have. In, in fact, I'm going to give back four times as much as I took. That's the Jesus way. You hear that? Not, not just, well, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have done that, Lord. But it's all good, right? I, I'm going to follow you starting now. And, but instead, something about following Jesus and having Jesus in his home, there was a transformation in his heart. And the Bible says, Jesus' words, I came to seek and save those who are what? Lost. Now, if they're lost... That means they've, like I apply it to, they've lost their way. But if they're found, they've found the way. And his name is Jesus. So in these conversations that I've noticed and I've had and at the church at large, again, not just here at Weston, but as I observe Christians in 2024, you know, people say, I follow Jesus. And as I examined last week, we talked about the fruit Right, It brings great glory to the Father that we bear much fruit. And, and you could see fruit on a tree, yes? So if, if, if I'm looking around, not judging people per se, but I'm like, God, where is the fruit? God, where is the fruit? If we say we're Christians, where is the fruit? So people say, oh, I follow Jesus. Really? The, is it the Jesus way then or is it your way? And I need to make that distinction for us today because we're going to look at Scripture and may we live the Jesus way. 
May we live the Jesus way. That is really the goal. Well, if you never read your word, you're not going to know the way of Jesus. Because we have the Gospels that show us how he lived. He was a teacher. He was a preacher. He was a miracle worker. You can sum up his ministry in those three things. He was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. Everyone who came to him, he was healing. And, and that's the nature of who he is. But the result of those three things is life transformation. That you would not be the same, but you would be made brand new. And in the New Testament, it says, Behold, when you come to Christ, the old you is dead and gone and buried, and you are raised to new life. All things are made new. So that means I'm not still crooked in this one area of my life. And then I, I live for him here, but everything else is still crooked. No, no, no. The Jesus way says, I've forsaken my former way of living, of, of talking, of walking, of, of all of those things. And I'm living the Jesus way. Yeah, but what about my old friend? No, no, no. L let them make their own decision. You follow Jesus. Live for Christ. Live for Christ. And you know, there's the, there is a song, by the way, which I've been listening to. And that's where I got the title for this new sermon series. But it's from Phil Wickham. It's called The Jesus Way. The chorus of that song says, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. He wore my sin. I'll gladly wear his name. He is the treasure. He is the answer. Oh, I choose the Jesus way. And so something amazing that happens, the Jesus way is the straight and narrow. It's not the broad highway. And which also means it's not the popular route. So people will look at you funny if you choose to live the Jesus way. But guess what? I don't care. I've known Jesus, and his way is far better than what any other way I've ever seen or I've heard about. So I choose the Jesus way. And here's the thing. I can't choose it for you. You have to choose it for yourself. Young people in the room, listen. Your grandparents couldn't choose it for you. Neither can your parents. You need to choose the Jesus way. It's a choice only you can make. I've said this before, but I want to remind you, there are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. There are only sons and daughters. And you need to choose the Jesus way. And what's the opposite of the Jesus way? It's whatever you choose. Your own way. And, and I fear that there are a lot of followers of Jesus, and I say this with air quotes in case you're listening to this one day on the podcast and you don't see my air quotes, but you're followers of Jesus, but you're actually living your own life. You're living your own way. You run your business without a regard for how the scripture says to handle the affairs of life. Uh, whether it's business, you can say, I'm a business owner. Yeah, it matters in business. It also matters in your conduct, in your day-to-day -day business. If you're in school, it matters. If you're at work, it matters. How you serve your employer, it matters. Do everything as unto Christ, the Bible says. That's the Jesus way at work. It's important. We do our best. We, do it. we serve well. We do it with enthusiasm. We show up ready to play, in other words. 
That's the Jesus way. So in this sermon series, the question that we're going to always land on is this. Are you following Jesus his way or are you following Jesus your way? And it's okay if you can't answer that in, in the best possible way. But my prayer is, would you allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in the areas where he needs to and then to bring the appropriate change that needs to happen as a result. You see, a lot of times I believe the Holy Spirit would put his finger on issues in your life or in our lives, it, to generalize it. And then we, we go, mm, yeah, I feel that Holy Spirit. And then we do nothing about it. And then you feel the same feeling. Maybe there's even guilt. That's not the goal of the Holy Spirit bringing his conviction. When you feel conviction, it's to bring change. That's going to put you back on the path of the Jesus way. Saying, God, I'm going to follow you. You know, I, I've strayed a little bit on this area, this side. But Lord, I'm going to cut those, prune me, Lord. Prune those branches like we heard last Sunday. And as I walk the Jesus way, if there's a weed, Lord, would you pluck it out? And you know, the Bible says that we have to tend our heart, tend the garden of your heart. That means sometimes weeds grow. There's the weed of offense when someone speaks to you in such a way and you're, you're hurt. But you got to tend the garden of your heart and you got to keep your heart pure before the Lord. And so today in scripture, in the time that we have, um, by the way, I do want to say it's okay as the Holy Spirit would move, if you don't know the Jesus way, you're going to start to discover the Jesus way. I've, I, I want to also pause long enough to say, I've also had some of those great conversations where they're like, Pastor, you know, I'm, I'm doing this in my private life, and, but now I'm realizing, like I, I feel the conviction of that lifestyle or of those choices that's also a conversation that I'm having with people. And I end by saying, well, then let's thank the Lord that he's revealing those things to you so that, there's the why, so that you can change. You have a choice. And, and it's two choices. One, to do nothing and to continue to go about living life the exact same way. Or two, which is a lot harder. Remember, it comes at a cost to make the necessary changes, even if that means life is going to look a lot different. And a lot of times, these kinds of decisions and, and areas center around people and relationships. A lot of times, it's relationships. But I choose the Jesus way. So it's okay to not understand it all, but you still need to obey him. You see that? With my children, I don't necessarily have always the ability to explain. If, if mom and dad say, no, 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 you can't go there. Or no, 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 we, you can't do that. As a parent, my heart is to get down on their level and to explain, you know, maybe I, I, you saw daddy react really quickly and I was, you know, it shocked you. But if you put your hand on the gas stove your hand will burn. <laughs> you might not understand it all, but you should still obey. You get what I'm saying? So when it comes to the things of the Lord and you read scripture, you might not understand it all, 
But here's the thing. You should still obey. And in time, my prayer is that God would bring you the understanding and revelation that you need. You know, the Bible does speak about coming to God in childlike faith. And I also think sometimes with our mind, God gifted us with a brain. Amen? Please never check out your brain at the door when you walk into church. You hear me? You should consider and weigh everything that I say. And God gave you a brain for that purpose. It means you got to open up the word and know the word too, though. Don't just use what you've heard and then regurgitate stuff and, and think that that's the Jesus way. No, no, no. Jesus knew the word as well. And he quoted the word when he faced temptation and all these other things. We'll get to some of it in a minute. But hear me for a second. It's okay if you don't understand everything, but you have to still obey him. Okay? If I say, listen, you need to go and clean the bathroom, you know, it's clogged or whatever here at the church, you could say, pastor, thanks, but, but no. You, you, you can do that to me, and then I'll figure it out. But here's the thing. When God speaks, if you are truly his child, hear me for a minute, if you are truly his son or his daughter, you got to obey. You might not always understand, Ask, ask your father, God, I don't understand. Would you help me understand why this is the word you've given me? Chances are it's going to become clear at the right moment. You know, God doesn't give the whole picture of life sometimes. Uh, I've learned because I can only handle this little puzzle piece. I can't handle the full picture because I would never believe it was possible. That's, that's when I see God, I go, I see now. You just gave me two puzzle pieces because that's all I could handle at that time. And now I see so much more than I did five, ten years ago. And that's the kindness of God as our Father. So again, just because you might not understand everything doesn't mean that you can't obey Him. Amen? So when you read something in His Word and you feel conviction, you got to obey. you got to do the hard work of understanding understanding of asking the Holy Spirit to bring revelation if it's not clear, but then obey. And so Matthew 6.33, this is uh, the Jesus way is this. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That's the Jesus way. So we're starting our year with prayer and fasting because we want to seek first his kingdom. That's the Jesus way. Now, in your personal life, I'm not telling you how to fast. I'm not saying everyone has to do a liquid fast, no food. I'm not saying everyone has to do the Daniel fast and nothing else. I'm not saying everyone has to do sun up and to sun down. No, that, you, you should have been asking the Holy Spirit. That's why on Tuesday we put those resources on the website for you to know and to begin to pray and prepare. If you didn't prepare, it's not a slap on the hand. It's saying, well, now you got to decide. Go home, figure it out, and, and choose how you're going to fast. Because we want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. A lot of times we do it the other way. It's a new year. These are all the goals. And then we say, okay, step one, let's start. You know, we've got to build steps towards all these goals. And then we just start going 
from a human perspective of effort and striving. But that's not the Jesus way. It's like, you know, put all your big goals. You should have goals. Don't get me wrong. But listen, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then here's the beautiful promise. All of those, all those other things will be added unto you. I wonder if we skip out the putting him first and seeking him first, and we just start chasing after the goals. Lord, is that why we get so far off the Jesus way? And then everything becomes about the hustle and the grind to get ahead in life, to get the down payment ready to buy that house or that investment property. And we, 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 we work ourselves to the bone. And Jesus says, he's, I wonder sometimes, is he looking at us going, why do you do this to yourself? What are you, like, and maybe he even smiles at the ridiculousness of our effort. And he says, your way is kind of funny, but the Jesus way is seek me first, because I promised I'm going to get those details in order for you. And maybe to you it's stupid, but I'm just simple in faith like that. If he said, seek me first and I'll fix all, I'll order all those other details, I have that childlike faith to say, if God said it, then he's going to do it. And I don't really, you know, I said, don't check out your mind at the door. The mind could also stop you from doing things the Jesus way, though. Because you'd say, well, no, that's just, it doesn't work. What do you mean, you know, seek first the kingdom and he's going to put all the, you know, order all my steps? No, no, that's what the scripture says. Like, so a lot of times your mind will get in the way of what God's word actually says because you think differently. But I want to remind the church today what Isaiah 55 says, that his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They are higher than our thoughts. So who am I to think that I know better than God? And that's just me talking about myself. And if you think that your way is better, then you continue to live your way. But I'm going to preach the Jesus way to you today. Amen? I choose the Jesus way. But you got to choose it for yourself. So in Matthew chapter 6, I know I quoted verse 33. But I want to look at the beginning. And I've preached this years past around this time of prayer and fasting. But Jesus teaches on three things I'll give them real quick to you. He teaches on giving, on praying, and on fasting. And again, to summarize, the Jesus way teaches me then to give or to be generous. In the context of Matthew 6, it was giving to the poor. So in our generosity, that's the Jesus way. Also, the Jesus way is to lead with prayer. And then the Jesus way is also to fast. So Fasting is not like, why do we have to do this? As we look at scripture, you're going to understand, Jesus expected us as Christians, if you're not a Christian today, you don't call yourself a follower of Christ, you get a free pass from this message. But this is for everyone who calls themselves Christians. There was an expectation, or a better word maybe is three habits. These are three habits that Jesus expected his followers to have and to maintain. 
We should be in the habit of being generous. We should be in the habit of praying and fasting. And so it's the Jesus way as well, not because he just says it in Matthew 6, we're going to read it shortly, but because he actually modeled those three things before he ever wanted us to follow after him and his word. So real quick, Matthew 14, uh, you know, when you give, so Matthew 14, we actually see Jesus feeding the multitudes. And in Scripture, in the Gospels, it's actually recorded two different occasions where Jesus fed the multitudes with very little. And so he multiplied the supply that was there. When he fed the 5,000, it was simply a boy's lunch, loaves and fish, that he gave generously and multiplied the meal so that everyone could eat. It says there were 5,000 men, but it did not include women and children in that count, but everyone ate, and guess what? There were leftovers. So that's the life of generosity that we're called to live. Now, those were people who were showing up to hear his teaching and all of that, and the disciples said, Jesus, we don't have resource like this. Like, send them away, let's, let's figure out something. And he said, well, go and see what we have. Another translation said, well, you feed them, right? And so there's a responsibility that we have as Christians to be generous. But Jesus showed us the way first. That's the Jesus way. In Luke 5.16, because we said it's giving, praying, and fasting. Look at Luke 5.16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So he's not just telling, hey, your follower, you should be doing this. He actually lived it out. He actually modeled it for us as a pattern to follow. So that's why we can call it the Jesus way. And so he often withdrew to lonely places or to the wilderness and prayed. You have to understand, Jesus, you know, sometimes in ministry too, I used to be a little bit like this where it's like, you know, someone calls the church and they're like, um, yeah, I, I need prayer for this or for that. I'm going to come by the church in half an hour. And so I would hang up and go, oh, I'm not ready for that. And I, I have to start praying to get more anointing for what I'm about to encounter when this person shows up. But Jesus never did that. If you notice that, he was always ready. So what, what was the secret is that he would withdraw. So there are always times when, where there, there were multitudes. There was the crowd, the people, the, the disciples. He was doing the mentoring and the teaching and all of that was happening. If you think of it where it says there are multitudes of people and it says he healed every single one of them of their illness, their sickness, their disease. That, that like I wonder how long did he lay hands? Like how did it happen? You know, Jesus poured out a lot in his ministry time. But I think the secret was when he withdrew in solitude. So it's not with a group of people necessarily, although that is very important sometimes to have. But he would withdraw as an individual to recharge. And how did he do that? Not by sitting back watching Netflix for two hours. Whew, that took a lot out of me. I got to just 
me time now, but his me time was time with the Father. So friend, if you feel burnt out, the way you should actually consider recharging is not by getting a bag of chips, sitting down with a drink, and watching some shows on Netflix. Instead, it's actually getting alone with your Father in heaven and allowing Him to give you good spiritual rest for your soul. It's the best way to recharge and renew yourself. You know, I don't have an electric vehicle, but I know you got to drive home and you, you have to install that special charger and you got to plug in that EV or else next morning it ain't going to have juice. And in the same way, you and I, when we just go home and it's Netflix and chill because we need to recharge, but we've not spent the time renewing our spirit with the Father, we're going to get up and the grind the next day is going to feel just the same. And you're not going to actually feel any relief. It's just going to be this crazy cycle. And you say, Lord, how long? What's going on? Why do I feel this way? I feel numb. I feel cold. I feel like I'm on autopilot. I'm a zombie. All of these things. But if you look at the Jesus way, he would withdraw from life, the busyness, the hustle and bustle. And he would get alone in the wilderness some of you, the wilderness will be your car because it's the only place where you could be alone. And in the wilderness, he would spend time praying with the Father. You know, I've been challenging with my wife, having these good conversations because life is busy. It's like, when are we going to find time to get alone with God? And her makeup is different than mine, so i got to figure out my my time with God. With kids, it, get, you know, it multiplies in complexity. And late at night, it's not kicking it for me anymore. So I have to reorganize. I'm just being very transparent with you. Reevaluate and reorganize all of the way I run so that I can make sure that I have my time. It's very important. And, and I'll admit, it's, it's been kind of spotty at best for me because I've allowed schedule to go a little off. And I said, I'm going to read at night. And it just there's so many other things vying for our time. But we got to schedule it and we got to carve the time. It'll never just show up. And then we got to make the time and, and just do it. Commit to it and just do it. So... Jesus modeled it for us. And then Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, Jesus fasted. He already did it and showed us how. Now, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. This was right after his baptism. And it says that he was actually hungry. He became very hungry, the Bible says. So Jesus, though he was fully God put on flesh, was also fully man. And the Bible says he was tempted in all the same ways you and I are tempted. So in here, he's literally hungry. Remember I said fasting is going to come at a cost? And so for 40 days, I could not imagine. I, I know some people who fasted 40 days. And, 
you know, if you plan to do that without food for 40 days, you should definitely go see your doctor first. Get the okay from him. Um, but I know some people who've done it, it's very hard. They look like skin and bones at the end of 40 days. So if God is not asking you to do a 40-day fast of no food, don't do it. You got to know that the Lord, that's why we said pray and ask the Holy Spirit how you should fast. It's very important. But Jesus modeled it for us. So he's not asking us to do something that he himself never showed. Hey, this is the way. You got to fast and pray. You know what, what's amazing about um, Jesus fasting in the wilderness? Yes, he was challenged and tempted. His identity was called into question by the devil. If you're really the son of God, turn this into that and do this and bow down and I'll give you the kingdoms. Jesus came back with the word. Bop, bop, bop. Three times. Nope. But you know what the amazing thing? After that time of fasting, it says, the very next part of scripture says, his ministry began. And there's something about crucifying the flesh and realigning your life, your heart, back to the, the Jesus way, back to God's purpose for your life, and something gets unlocked. What was difficult suddenly becomes easy. Some of you, you've had a hard time hearing the voice of the Lord. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know my voice. But, but if you're having trouble, then you should be praying and fasting in these 21 days with us. As a church, it's an invitation for, for all of us. It's a corporate fast, not a personal fast you're being called to, but a, a corporate fast. Together, we're going to seek the Lord. Together, we're going to believe him for breakthrough. And so at the end of Jesus' 40 days where he was tried, he was tempted, but he didn't give in, we see that his ministry takes off. And, you know, Jesus did so much, but don't forget he just ministered for three years. And, and in three years, he transformed the world. Think about it. It's, it's incredible. And so who's to say at the end of our time of prayer and fasting what the Lord wants to do through you? He's going to do something in you during these 21 days. But that's why we have to have an expectation. After 21 days, God, what are you going to do through my life? Lord, let there be much fruit that comes. Let the people around me see that I'm not the same. Listen, you might come into today crawling for our 21 days of fasting. But I believe by the time we're done, you're going to be running and leaping and praising God because of what he's doing. And real quick, we're almost at the end, but I want to... You know, Matthew chapter 6, just highlight a few things. Matthew chapter 6, in the first four verses, Jesus is teaching about giving to the needy. And he says, verse 1, watch out. So it's actually a warning. And everything he says has to deal with motive. Everything has to do with motive. And he says this, watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. He's not saying don't do them. And it's okay if they are public. But he said don't do them publicly if this is your motivation. If it's to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. So already in one verse we can say 
that we ought to be givers, number one. And number two, also that there is a reward from the Father. There's a reward. But he says, if your motivation is just to be noticed publicly, that's, that's all the reward you're going to get. Verse 2, when you give. So there's the phrase. It didn't say if. It was, but when you give. So there was an expectation, as Jesus is saying this, upon his listeners, that you should be givers. That you should be a generous people. So the Jesus way says, no, 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 when I give. We did have our legacy offering through the month of December. But, and thank you again to all those who, who gave. And we're going to announce later in the month what that total was. We just need um, all of it counted still. But hear me, the legacy offering isn't the only time in the year that we give. As believers, we do believe in the tithe. And Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, New Testament said, no, you should tithe. So it's important to understand that I give out of a love and devotion for God, but also an obedience to his word. You don't give because of manipulation, never. So if you've ever felt manipulated to give to a church or to God, don't give. But I give with a cheerful heart. And I give freely and willingly. And I honor God with the first fruits. The tenth, the tithe means one tenth. So this is not a sermon on giving, but, but Jesus is saying, in this context of Matthew 6, it was being generous to the poor. And some of us, you know, and I've, I've alluded to this, I think, last year in a sermon, you know, we kind of evaluate who's asking for money. If it's on the corner, every exit, uh, every time I exit Weston uh, off of the 401, I, I usually see someone who's begging. And I remember, I don't carry cash. That's the main problem now. But, but I remember having this thought of, but God, how do I know what they're going to use it for? And I used to, you know, but then there's a scripture, and I can't pull it off the top of my head. But he who gives to the poor lends to God. And the idea is, well, surely God will repay as well. And so whatever they're going to do with it, that's not on me. What's on me is, did you give to the poor? You know, there's also a thing, I think some famous guy named Jesus said, what you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. And so, you know, the obedience is on the generosity part, not on, well, what are they going to do with it? So let's be givers. Uh, there are needs all around us. And as often as you're able, may you be generous. Sometimes you should pray first. Ask God for wisdom, for discernment. If you're married, you should, bring, you should have a conversation about how you can be generous as a, spa, as a family, as a husband and wife. And then figure it out. But be generous as you can. And then he says, we're going to jump to verse uh, 5 to 15, there's another section there. When, and he says in verse 5, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And again, the motive and the reason why, they love to pray publicly. In other words, anywhere where they can be seen. They, they want to be noticed as spiritual people. 
Because that's the reward they're after. But Jesus says, but don't be like that. Your father's the one who actually gives you the reward. It's, it's not about being noticed by people. And then he says a second thing. Again, right after verse 5 and verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go away by yourself. So remember how Jesus did it? Yeah? That's the Jesus way. So he's, he's telling them, but when you pray, go away. Now this is personal prayer, your personal time. What we're doing is corporate. So we're going to gather Friday night. I'm not going to say, okay, you go in that office. You go in there and everyone try to get alone. No, we're going to come together as a corporate body of Christ. But what Jesus is saying is in your personal life. Don't, don't be in the lunchroom at work going, I'm going to pray now. Everyone be quiet so you can hear my words. He's saying, no, no, no. Get alone. For some of us, it's the, literally the exact opposite. Go to your car. Every lunch break, every lunch hour at school, get alone and, and get with God. He says, don't be like those hypocrites. And then he goes on, verse 7, and if you're going to pray, don't babble as the Gentiles do. And here he tells us what, what they're thinking is. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again. If you pray like that, I'm not here to slap you on the wrist. But you don't have to just say the same thing so that it sounds long. You just, what is the ask? What are you praying about? And let your father know. I have one child, you know, we could talk about persistence in prayer. Uh, I have one child, I'm not going to name him. He's my youngest. I just won't name him. <laughs> and I have deaf ears. I'm really good at that too. I'm so stubborn that way. But, but he'll just go, go, go. And it's like an, a little nag, nag, nag. And, and, but he wants... He wants what he wants, right? That's, that's different. There's nothing wrong with asking for something every day as you pray. What we're talking about is, let's say Friday night corporate prayer. And you'll hear me say this. It's not about your eloquence. It's not about how long you're able to put nice words together. It's about letting your request be made known to the Lord. And for some you know, the, one of the best prayers I've ever prayed is this. Jesus! That was it. I had no words. It was when my mom died. I had no words. It was just Jesus. And guess what? The Lord heard my prayer, and he answered the cry of my heart. So it's not in the eloquence. It's not in babbling to be long, because we know we said we're going to pray for an hour on Friday night as a church family. No, no, no. Some of the best prayers are the simple ones that get straight to the point. God, no fluff, no stuff. Lord, I just want you. And here I am. Boom. Amazing. God shows up. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Boom. And he does. That's the kind of God we serve. He doesn't need the, the facade or the performance he says, I could see right through all the fluff anyway. And the scripture reminds us of just that. 
verse 8, don't be like them, those Gentiles who Babylon. Your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. But like every father, he wants his child to ask. So you should still ask. Isn't that encouraging? Listen, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. I'm so encouraged by that. Lord, even as we start praying these 21 days, God, you know the needs. God, you know what we're going to seek you for. You know what's weighing heavy on us. But I thank you, Lord, that you're going to answer them as well. And it's super important to understand. I'm going to land the plane here. There's more I wanted to say, but I feel this is the appropriate ending. Verse 14, I want to read it. Chapter 6, verse 14. Still talking about prayer. This is what he says. If you forgive those who sin against you. So remember he says when you give, when you pray, when you fast. But here he says if. Don't miss it. It's very important because this is a conditional statement. If you forgive those who sin against you. Your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, what happens? Your Father will not forgive your sins. Yeah, but the power of the cross, the blood washes my sins away. It does. And it'll never change. It'll never lose its power. But he's telling us there's something we need to learn here. He's saying if you refuse to forgive your brother or your sister... I can't forgive your sins. And I wonder how many people we have in church who call themselves followers of Jesus, but you haven't been doing this. You've been following Jesus your way. And maybe there's unforgiveness in your heart. And maybe there's bitterness and hardness of heart as a result. It's very scary when you read this part because he says, yeah, if that's you, I can't forgive your sins. What God cares most about is your heart. You've heard me say this a lot. But the Bible also says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So can I actually always trust my heart? No, I'm good. We're good. No, I'm good. If someone has offended you, you got to forgive them of their sins doesn't mean that you'll hear an apology coming from them. you got to forgive them of their sin. And your Father in heaven will forgive you of your sins. But if we can't forgive someone else, God is saying, it shuts up the power to forgive your sins. It's there, but it closes the door. And it's a very solemn thing, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't just get to, but when you fast next... Because remember, the Jesus way says, no, no, no. I got to tend the garden of my heart. I got to take inventory of what is living here. And if there's unforgiveness and I refuse to forgive, that's not something that is on the other person. That's on you as an individual. You got to evaluate that. And if we're saying, hey, I want to live the Jesus way, it means then... I have to choose to forgive. 
And for some of us, maybe we've, we're saying, God, you know, we point the finger why things aren't happening. But if you skip this verse, you'll, you'll miss out on some stuff if there's unforgiveness in your heart. And then we think, God, why have you shut up the heavens? Why am I experiencing all of this turmoil and all this relationship challenge and difficulty and all that? And God's saying, I know you're blaming me, but you're not heeding my word. You might not, again, I've, I've said this, I'll say it again. You might not understand it all, but you should obey. So Lord, help me to forgive those who've sinned against me. And I didn't read it, but right before that, Jesus gives them that model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And right after he teaches them, this is how you should pray, he says this verse. So he's saying that's a great prayer to pray, but if there's unforgiveness in your heart, you could pray whatever you want, it's not going to change. And so uh, coming full circle, the conversations I've been hearing, right? It's like, I, I, I need financial breakthrough here. All right, let's sit down, let's talk. And then we find out there are these other areas where you're not living the Jesus way. The question then is, how can God bless everything else if you're not doing the basics His way? How can God bless your life if you are doing things so crooked that are foundational. If, if you're here today and the person you're living with is not your husband or your wife, that's not the Jesus way of living. And I'm, I love you enough to tell you, and here's the, the truth. Then you're going to ask God's blessing on your job. Pastor, pray for me because, uh, you know, finances are tight or all, but it's like, but you're not honoring him in the simple things. So how can God bless disobedience? He can't. And we get upset and frustrated at our situation because God, you're like, God, why have you not answered these prayers? But we have not been living the Jesus way. And I say this from a place of love, a place of God's truth. Remember, there's no other truth. But the truth of Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when we start to pray and fast, we're denying the flesh. And we're allowing the Holy Spirit to prick the conscience of our hearts again. And then we start to realize, oh, there, these are the areas. This is why I couldn't hear. My spiritual ears had so much wax that I couldn't hear, even if you were yelling at me with a megaphone, Holy Spirit. And God, He's never stopped speaking, but we've just been so full of other stuff. So today, this is a solemn call to pray and to fast as a church. If there's sin, you know, Jesus didn't condemn sinners, but there was conviction there. And he told the woman caught in adultery, 
you know, she was brought right there, and Jesus said, uh, any of you without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, they dropped their stones, and they all left. And he said, where are your accusers? She said, there are none here. He goes, well, then neither do I accuse you. But this is what he said, but go and sin no more. So that's the Jesus way, is not to, he doesn't, he's not afraid of your dirty sin. Hear me today. But as you would come to him just as you are, this is his word to you. Go and sin no more. And it's not that we don't understand that. I think we all do. But here's the reason, I heard an evangelist say this. Here's the reason why people don't give their lives to Jesus. They count the cost, they weigh it, and they're not willing to, to pay it. They're not willing to change. I'm going to invite everyone to stand on your feet real quick. We're going to close this service. But I want to ask you a question. As we start prayer and fasting, if there's sin in your life, you need to get right with God. I'm going to ask, please, no one moving unless you have to leave for work uh, and, or bus to catch at a specific time or your bladder's about to burst. Then run. But hear me real quick. If you don't deal with sin, sin will deal with you. If you don't get rid of sin, sin will get rid of you. And sin always separates you from God. What I would hate for you to do if there's sin in your life is to go 21 days praying and fasting and, and trying to draw close to the Lord and not dealing with the sin at the onset. The Bible is very clear. Sin separates us from God. And so I'm going to ask every eye be closed, every head bowed, because this is between you and the Lord. And I really want you to just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's any sin. Because sometimes there's, it, there's, it's become such a pattern where you don't even recognize that it is sin. Sin is simply missing the mark. Jesus said, do this, and you've been missing the mark. There's some of you, I believe here, you have been in church your whole life, but the pattern of sin is still present. And today you need to surrender and allow the blood of Jesus, which was shed on the cross for you, to break the stronghold that sin has had on your life. It's, this is not a moment of, you know, where we're going to manipulate your feelings. And, no, this is just straight up. You know who you are if that's you. There are some people, you're brand new, and you've never maybe even heard a message like this, but you feel this stirring in almost your stomach area. There's an uneasiness, perhaps. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you feel. It's like a tugging of your heart. You feel the pull there. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin to minister to you. And he's going to bring to light what these things in your life are. But here's what I simply want to ask the church to do. If there's sin, the Bible says, if you confess your sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you. But, but confessing means it's got to come out of your mouth. Now, I'm not saying that everyone around you needs to hear. But what I'm going to ask is that in your quiet time, even now, you would just take about a minute and allow the Lord to begin to speak and to minister to you, to reveal what those areas are.
And then after that, you're going to confess what that is. So just take a second as you would do that. I'm going to ask, can you guys pull up that song, The Jesus Way? And I want this to be uh, the song that we begin to pray. And just take a moment, The Jesus Way from Phil Wickham. And as they pull it out, just remain in this attitude of prayer before the Lord. And allow his Holy Spirit to begin to speak to your life today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You could put it just a bit louder. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. If you curse me, then I will bless you. If you hurt me, I will forgive. And if you hate me, then I will love you. I choose the Jesus way. If you're helpless, I will defend you. If you're burdened, I'll share the weight. And if you're hopeless, then let me show you there's hope in the Jesus way.
thank you, Lord. So Father, today I thank you that each one of us has a choice. And God, we choose the Jesus way today. Father, I thank you that if there's sin, Lord, your word says there's no sin that's stained red, that you can't make white as snow again. And Lord, I thank you that you could wash us clean and give us a fresh start, not just a new year, but a fresh start. Lord, I thank you that when we come to you, your word says we are dead and gone in who we used to be. And in Christ, we are a new creation. And so God, I pray today by the confession of our mouth, Lord, we confess our sin. Lord, as we've been doing that in these last few minutes, as your Holy Spirit has brought to light what was hidden in darkness, Lord, I thank you that you bring it to light to expose so that we can deal with it. And God, your, your nature is to restore us to right relationship with you. So God, I pray that you would do the deep-rooted heart work. And that's only done by the power of your Holy Spirit and by a willingness of every individual within the sound of my voice. Father, I thank you that your word says as we repent, or if we repent of our sins and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we will be saved. God, I thank you this morning that there are people here that have been confessing their sin, but now they're confessing Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, the Bible says it's by confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised them from the dead. And if you've never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to respond in that way. And I'll invite you to lift your hand. If you've never made a public decision for Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to come out of your seat or to embarrass you, anything, but I'll ask you to raise your hand on the count of three simply to acknowledge the decision that you're making today. If you, I've heard it said, if you can't stand for Jesus in a church, you can't stand for him outside the walls of this place. If you're here, though, and you've never received Christ, but after today, you're saying, Pastor, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. I want to give him my life, and I want to receive him as Lord and Savior. I'm going to simply count to three. Would you slip your hand up, and I'll lead you in this prayer. One, two, and three. Is there anyone here today? Just going to give a second. Anyone? In Jesus' name. If you're watching online, you could do that as well. But I want to lead us in this prayer because I want to make sure that we're starting these 21 days sin-free, if I can say that. Sin-free doesn't mean we, we won't trip and fall, but we get up and we say, Jesus, would you help me? But as we pray this prayer, if you maybe you're just embarrassed, you don't want to lift your hand, I don't know. But the Bible says, confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So I want to lead you in this prayer. I'll ask everyone to pray this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. But I thank you you're not leaving me the way I came in. Today I want to choose the Jesus way. And I repent of my sin, and I turn to Christ. I confess with my mouth 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God, you raised him from the dead. And so I thank you that I'll never be the same again. That I'm a new creation. The old me is dead and gone. And you've given me a brand new start. Help me to serve you. Help me to follow you. And Holy Spirit, would you come now and give me the power I need to live a holy life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope listening to this week's sermon has equipped you to be the light wherever you go. 